Hello, it's time to read the Des Moines Register for Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of Iowans with a print disability. I'm Dave Stutz, and my partner at the microphone for the next 90 minutes is Ed Stutz. For the first hour, we'll cover local and national news from the Des Moines Register and USA Today. Our second hour starts with birthdays and obituaries, followed by opinions, sports, and Dear Abby. The third hour continues with more sports and lighter news. Support for today's reading comes from the Des Moines Register and donations from individuals and listeners like you. Learn how you can keep the volunteer voices of Iris going strong at iowaradioreading.org. Now let's take a look at the weather and the headlines from today's Des Moines Register. For the generally across the state for the weather, Increasing cloudiness to the east and near Des Moines today, partly sunny elsewhere. Winds will be east-southeast at 5 to 12 miles per hour. Specifically for central Iowa, we're looking at an anticipated high of 64 and a low of 49. Tomorrow, Monday, clouds and sun, and it will be warmer with a high of 77 and a low of 63. Tuesday, a shower and a thunderstorm, high 77, low 60, and to the midweek on Wednesday, rain, and it's uh, becoming windier. A high will be 68 and a low at 57. Tonight, our sunset will be at 624 p.m. Looking at the headlines from today's Sunday Register, a big 2023 election article from uh, considering the Des Moines mayoral race. And the headline reads, A Divide on Approach to State Issues. And candidates top tap ire over COVID-19 response. Looking at the metro section, expect more 55-plus developments in the metro area. Bicycle Coalition names a new director. And why is the Capitol, the state Capitol building, why is it lit in shades of blue? And now here to start us off with our first article is Ed. Thank you, David. Our first article is titled Candidates Tap Err Over COVID-19 Response. In an Iowa sports bar on a dreary Saturday morning, Grimes resident Mike Polk posed a final audience question to GOP presidential candidate Ron DeSantis. When are the people like Anthony Fauci, hospital administrators, when are they going to be held accountable? Not getting fired, not driving around in limos, when are they going to be cuffs? Pauk asked. We hung seven Nazi doctors, including Carl Brandt, for doing less. DeSantis took the question, gliding past the mention of the death penalty and the accusation that Fauci, the former director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and civilian hospital staff had committed crimes more serious than the Nazi war criminals. They lied to this country, the Florida governor replied, echoing anti-vaccine talking points, including several that had been discredited. They lied to this country about gain-of-function research. They lied to the country about COVID coming from a lab. They were wrong about the lockdowns. They were wrong about the forced masks. They were wrong about the school closures. 
They were wrong about the mRNA COVID shots. They were wrong on all these things. On the presidential campaign trail, DeSantis has held up his record as Florida's governor during the COVID-19 pandemic, touting the state's relatively early reopening and its rejection of masks and vaccine mandates. DeSantis promised that if he is elected president, there would be a reckoning for public health authorities who advise the federal government's pandemic response. There's a lot of people running. I am the only one that is interested in this issue, DeSantis told the crowd of about 50 in Creston, Iowa. Biden is not. Trump is not. None of the other people are interested in it. But here's the thing. If we don't bring that reckoning, they are going to try to do it to this country again. DeSantis, however, isn't the only Republican presidential candidate to tap into the ongoing conservative backlash to the COVID response. Several candidates, including U.S. Senator Tim Scott and former President Donald Trump, have warned of another wave of closures or mask mandates, even as state and federal officials say no such measures are expected. With this rhetoric, DeSantis and his rivals have distanced themselves from their own leadership in 2020, when they followed guidance from the federal government and spoke in favor of social distancing, masking, and newly released vaccines. In particular, the focus on retigating COVID in the 2024 election puts Trump and former Vice President Mike Pence on the defensive as they attempt to justify their administration's response in 2020 while tiptoeing around its most controversial aspect. We did a great job on that with the ventilators and the therapeutics and the Regeneron, Trump said at a September event in Makakota, referencing an antibody cocktail that was developed to combat COVID-19 and was reportedly taken by Trump himself when he contracted the virus. Notably absent from his list of accomplishments, Operation Warp Speed and the the race to develop the COVID-19 vaccine, which became available in the final months of his presidency and has since become the center of a host of conspiracy theories. DeSantis rose to national prominence as a conservative governor during the pandemic, touting his reopening of schools and businesses. Waiting in line to enter a DeSantis event in Cedar Rapids, 41-year-old Josh Friend said he supported DeSantis since the beginning. I run a small business and it didn't shut down the businesses like every other state in the country, said Friend, who runs a hardware store floor installation business in Cedar Rapids. I really like that, and I appreciate that. Although he was publicly vaccinated and encouraged Floridians to receive the shot, DeSantis and his Surgeon General have since become skeptical of the safety of the vaccine, advising people under 65 not to get the booster shots. Last December, DeSantis requested a state-level grand jury probe of vaccine manufacturers to investigate potential crimes and wrongdoing committed against the Floridians related to the COVID-19 vaccine. More than 676 million COVID vaccines doses have been administered in the United States. They have proven safe overall. CDC data shows despite short-term side effects in some cases of myocardias.
a swelling of the heart, largely among older adolescent males and young men. About five people per every million vaccinated suffered a severe allergic reaction to the shot. Republican candidate Vivek Ramaswamy speaks broadly to voters about his distrust of the federal government and specifically bureaucracies within the executive branch, which he calls the state, the deep state. He proposed firing more than one million civil servants and eliminating several programs and agencies, including the Centers for Disease Control. At an August fundraiser for U.S. Representative Ashley Hinson, Ramswamy called on the government to tell the truth about COVID. They think we can't handle the truth about COVID-19, that we can't handle the truth about where the virus came from, that we can't handle the truth about vaccine mandates or lockdowns, he said. Ramswamy took two doses of the COVID-19 vaccine but he told NBC News in September that he regrets it, although his wife, who is a surgeon, said she does not regret her own vaccination. Yet both DeSantis and Ron Swamy supported the pandemic mitigation measures in 2020. In Florida, DeSantis closed the schools and businesses for several weeks, and he encouraged everyone to get the vaccines when it became available. Ramswamy's past social media posts show he supported the 2021 rollout of vaccines. We should aim to safely vaccinate everyone who is eligible, he tweeted, in a 2020 proposal by U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders to provide masks to all Americans. Perhaps the most outspoken and consistent voice on COVID pandemic response is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who began his presidential campaign as a Democrat and now is running as an independent. Kennedy, who opposes vaccines before COVID-19 pandemic, is a leading voice in the anti-vaccine movement. Health experts have called his work dangerous and members of his family have condemned him for spreading misinformation. During the COVID-19, Kennedy criticized the government's handling of the pandemic and vaccines, even losing his Instagram account when he was accused of spreading misinformation. He criticized the lockdowns, suggesting things were worse for Americans than they were for Anne Frank, the Jewish teenager who hid with her family during the Holocaust and died in a concentration camp. Kennedy later apologized for the comments. Pock, the 56-year-old Grimes residents who pressed DeSantis about holding Fauci and hospital administrators accountable said he was choosing between DeSantis, Kennedy, and Trump for 2024. Pock claimed that the COVID-19 vaccines and remiss, the FDA-approved COVID treatment killed thousands of people, a claim that has been widely debunked. Kennedy is a two-issue candidate for me, vaccine and getting rid of the deep state. I don't agree with RFK on 90% of things, but I think he's actually an honorable person. As DeSantis and others decry the government's response to COVID-19, two contestants in the Republican primary have a more careful line to tread, Trump and Pence, who led the country through the first year of the pandemic. Trump frequently references his administration's effort to curb 
what he calls the gift from China or China's virus while avoiding specifics that conservatives have increasingly condemned. In remarks in Makota in mid-September, Trump lamented his administration didn't get the recognition it deserved for tackling the virus. We haven't been getting the kind of love on that, Trump said. We get a lot of love on the economy, a lot of things, but they never gave us one of the big things. The White House's response to the pandemic's progression from a threat abroad to a domestic emergency from the late 2019 to spring 2020 has been the target of harsh criticism from Democrats and, in, and entire books on this subject. Some Republicans, too, have come to resent parts of these early months. One attendee of a Pence campaign event in Waverly told the former vice president that the administration acquiesced to a lot of Dr. Fauci's demands and a lot of things that put his country on the wrong track. How do we avoid that situation happening again, the audience member asked. Pence quickly said that China is responsible for the COVID pandemic, and he noted that it was President Joe Biden, not Trump, who mandated vaccines. But he also defended the administration's response to the earliest days of the pandemic, including the initial nationwide shutdown in March 2020. What we saw in Italy at the time, at the end of February, was that people were literally dying on gurneys in the hallways of hospitals because they didn't have the equipment, they didn't have the supplies, they didn't have the capacity, Pence said in Waverly. We never wanted what to, that to happen in the United States. And so we took a pause from that because became, that became 15 days and then it was no longer than that. And I believe that gave us time to spin up the supplies, to spin up the testing from a standing start, to spin up medically, medical supplies and gowns and ultimately ventilators that would be required for people that became seriously ill. After that, Pence said it was Democratic governors who decided to keep businesses and schools closed for several more months. I think going forward, we have to think very carefully about how much authority we give to states around the country, Pence said. Across the GOP presidential field, several COVID stances have become a conservative norm. DeSantis, Trump, Pence, Scott, Ramswamy, and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley have all stated their opposition to masks or vaccine mandates. The Republican establishment also has condemned any closure mandates meant to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. The Republican candidates have also broadly subscribed to a theory that COVID originated in a Chinese laboratory. A declassified intelligence report in June was unable to determine whether illnesses, illnesses of lab workers in Wuhan, China, were the source of the pandemic. In March, Haley told Iowans that China should be accountable for the worldwide damage caused by the pandemic. I think we need to go and look at the damages, the financial damages that happened, the life loss that happened, and every country in the world needs to know and hold them accountable, Haley said, according to the Iowa Capitol Dispatch. And they've yet to do that. And the U.S. should be leading the charge on that. Scott said in a March Fox News appearance that there is a compelling evidence that the Wuhan lab, not nature, 
is the reason why the COVID happened. The more China lies, the more Americans die, Scott said. And Dave, I'll give it back to you. Thank you, Ed. I am turning again to the front page of the Des Moines Register. And this article is written by Virginia Barretta of the Des Moines Register. And it deals with the upcoming election for a new mayor in uh, the city of Des Moines. And the headline reads, A Divide on Approach to State Issues. Des Moines mayoral candidate Josh Mandelbaum grew up going to opponent Connie Bozen's Appalicious stand at the Iowa State Fair. At 24, he knocked on doors for her Des Moines School Board campaign. I've known Connie since I was, you know, yeah, big, Mandelbaum told the Des Moines Register. Bozen also remembers a young Mandelbaum and recalls his father working with her at the old downtown Yonkers. The two mayoral candidates, who also face cosmetologist Denver Foote and security guard Chris Von Arks for the city's top spot, not only have intertwined histories, but also deep-rooted knowledge of Des Moines. Each of the two has served on the city council for the past six years and has taken similar stances at least at a surface level, on core issues like affordable housing, climate change, city growth, and public safety. They left some community members scratching their heads about what sets them apart. Both candidates believe in attracting youth and businesses while working to keep young families in the city. Both have stated their support for the Des Moines Police Department, but agree the city needs to hire more social workers to respond to mental health crises instead of police. Both have publicly expressed they're willing to compromise with their council colleagues to get plans accomplished. And at an NAACP-hosted candidate forum on Tuesday, when asked about current council member they most closely have aligned with, Bozen and Mandelbaum chose each other. Records show that while Mandelbaum is more likely to vote against the grain than Bozen, both align with their colleagues on the vast majority of items that appear on city council agendas. In council meetings from January 10 of 2022 to September 11 of 2023, Mandelbaum broke off from the rest of the council 10 times, and Bozen did once, according to a register analysis of meeting minutes. The council took 2,130 votes during that time. In June, Mandelbaum voted against the city, uh, resigning its membership with the Mid-Iowa Planning Alliance for Community Development, an organization that works to support Metro County's economic development. Bozen, in November, voted against denying an appeal by the First Assembly of God Church on Merle Hay Road, which had asked the city not to require screening of rooftop mechanical equipment. But their differences largely boil down to whether state issues have a place in city politics. Mandelbaum has repeatedly advocated for the city to voice its stance on broader statewide issues, such as reproductive rights and gun safety, and says he's already shown that commitment through proposed policies and ordinances as a council member. While Bozen has supported some of 
these policies, she largely believes some of these issues, including abortion rights, are not within the city's purview. These two schools of thought have risen to prominence in both campaigns and recently reached a breaking point when three sitting council uh, members decided to take sides. Joe Gatto, Carl Voss, and Linda Westerngard announced Tuesday they were endorsing Bozen. Voss and Westergaard told the Register they believe decisions surrounding issues such as reproductive health have no place in City Hall. Mayor Frank County, who decided not to seek a third term, told the Register he's currently not endorsing a candidate. In a more slogan-like contrast, at 44, Mandelbaum says he's a candidate who represents, quote, generational, quote, change. County is 75 and Bozen is 72. And also notes he's the only sitting council member who currently has children who attend the Des Moines Public Schools. Bozen, who often draws on her East Side origins and experience on the school board, says community members are itching to see a woman in the mayor's office. The election is set for November 7th. Early voting began Wednesday. While the candidates often vote similarly, they differ on some of the issues they've supported or resolutions they've introduced. One conflicting resolution that has risen to the surface during the election focused on reproductive health care. When the United States Supreme Court overturned landmark abortion rights cases, Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which established and protected a constitutional right to abortion. Mandelbaum, in a preemptive move, drafted a resolution to safeguard access to abortion for Des Moines residents in case Iowa further restricted the procedure. He told council members a resolution would signal to the community that Des Moines is not idly standing by. The resolution lifted four protections, which included limiting police and city officials' ability to investigate a person for accessing or providing abortions in Des Moines. Most council members, including Bozen, maintained that regulating abortion care should be left to state and federal government and ultimately voted against holding a discussion about the proposal. Since Iowa's legislature passed a six-week abortion ban this year, the issue has not formally come up on the council, but it's become one of Mandelbaum's core campaign tenants. Bozen says she stands by her uh, position from last year and cannot and uh, questions whether the proposal was brought forward to help people or if it was simply a political statement. As a woman who once had to, quote, make a choice, end quote, she says the insinuation that she does not support abortion rights because she didn't approve of the council discussing the issue is, quote, disappointing, end quote. I'm the woman in this race who's had to make a choice. I chose the path of mother getting married, quit school, uh, to work full-time at Yonkers, said Bozen, who later was a single mother for 13 years. So I don't need a man telling me I don't support reproductive rights and women's right to choose. Mandelbaum counters that anyone who says the city cannot enact these types of proposals is being dishonest with the public. 
Now, if what they really mean is we should not, because the state will retaliate, that can be your position. If it's your position, you should tell the public, he said. I think sometimes people say we cannot do things when they really mean I don't want to do these things. Mandelbaum says the city's stance on reproductive rights is just one of the many issues where Des Moines should be firm. In 2019, Mandelbaum, along with a few Polk County supervisors, asked their staffs to explore bans on certain gun accessories, such as high-capacity magazines and bump stocks, just days after a public works employee killed 12 people at a city building in Virginia Beach, Virginia. The city council ultimately decided not to adopt any restrictions on firearm accessories after hearing stiff opposition from area gun owners and other council members. In 2021, Mandelbaum introduced the 24-7 Clean Energy Resolution, which sets a timeline for several milestones in the shift from fossil fuels to renewable energy sources, including wind and solar power. Bozen supported it. The council unanimously passed the resolution. Each has helped shape police reform resolutions and actions. For her part, Bozen says she asked for a third-party review of the police department, an effort that led to the council in 2022 hiring 21 CP Solutions, a consulting firm that conducts assessments of police policies, procedures, and training, working with civil rights organizers and groups like Iowa Citizens for Community Improvement, she and Mandelbaum in 2020 led a racial profiling ban and sponsored a resolution that created a marijuana task force a group that studied marijuana decriminalization, both passed unanimously. The city council later declined the task force recommendation to make marijuana possession the lowest enforcement priority for police, although Mandelbaum has said the council should have done so. Police Chief Dana Wingert said at the time that the department would not be compelled to follow city policies that conflict with state law. Bozen, who at the time said she was concerned the city did not have uh, participation from the police department, told the register recently that while she agrees with the recommendation in principle, there needs to be work done to ensure the city is following the law. She said the city has put it on its, quote, legislative priority, end quote. Bozen brought forward a conflict of interest policy in 2021, which prohibits council members from voting on items involving their own financial interests and their immediate families, and from accessing programs with limited city funding. Mandelbaum supported it. The policy passed in a 4-3 to three vote. During her campaign, Bozen has unofficially called for a property maintenance ordinance, which would, quote, hold property, property owners accountable for the maintenance of their properties, end quote. She has not formally introduced an ordinance. Bozen says her goal as mayor would be to bring pride back into Des Moines neighborhoods, largely through redeveloping and strengthening housing and businesses. If elected, Bozen says she also wants to tackle livability issues and public safety. 
Many of these campaign priorities can be traced back to her first love, and that is education. Bozen, who served on the Des Moines School Board for 14 years, said it was her passion for schools that drove her to run for the city council at large seat in 2017. The council lacked a strong voice supporting schools, she said. If we don't have strong schools, it hurts this community, she said. She pointed to recent success in advocating for giving nearly $4 million in American Rescue Plan Act dollars to Des Moines public schools to add six preschool classrooms and, quote, wraparound, end quote, daycare services, allowing an additional 120 children from low-income families to attend full-day preschool. Bozen says she is most proud of working with organizations like Invest Des Moines and the Improving Our Neighborhoods program to reinvest and increase value in neighborhood nodes, an effort that has helped stabilize and revive them. She says she wants to continue that work as mayor, saying that she carries the ION ION program brochure when door knocking. If we're going to say the neighborhoods are important, then we as a city need to support them, she said. Like Mandelbaum, Bozen wants to see more missing middle housing, with, uh, such as duplexes and four-unit buildings. She also wants to make it easier for small businesses to thrive and is a strong proponent of, quote, aggressively, end quote, recruiting people and businesses to Des Moines. We can't put barriers that could impede development, she said, especially in this cost-of-goods environment, interest rates environment. How do we say, quote, we're open for business, end quote? While so much of the work on the council is about the day-to-day, Bozen also says she sees the role of the mayor as getting long-term goals or key performance indicators, and then making sure the council is working with city staff to hit those targets. She says long-term plans like Move Des Moines, which shows how the city's streets and transportation system could evolve over the next quarter century. And Plan Des Moines, which outlines policy for efforts such as land use decisions and prioritizing capital projects, should be revised and updated to ensure they still align with the city's goals. We need to see the vision and the direction and let them do their jobs and then hold them accountable to hit the goals that we set, she said of the city staff. Mandelbaum says he is at a different stage in life from not just his from not just his opponent but everyone on the council as a father with two young children ages 7 and 9 he says the prospect of bettering their futures is what motivated him to run for the mayor's seat Mandelbaum, who worked as a political advisor to Governor Tom Vilsack and Lieutenant Governor Sally Peterson, and now works as an environmental attorney at a nonprofit, has tapped into his policy and advocacy background while serving on the council as Des Moines Ward 3 representative. He says effecting change through policy is crucial, even if it means standing up to special interest groups. I think that shapes you, he said. I think that's a really hard thing for elected officials.
Mandelbaum, who has cited housing, city growth, climate, and public safety as his top priorities, said he talks about solutions to city issues more directly than Bozen, adding he's more specific when it comes to the policies and ideas he would implement. There are a lot of things when Councilmember Bozen and I talk at a high level the same, but then if you pull it out, I'm willing to commit to specific policies in a very specific way, he said. For example, while both he and Bozen support hiring more mental health workers to respond to police calls, Mandelbaum says he talks about how any new public safety dollars should go toward mental health and social workers. When asked about some of his proudest accomplishments so far on the council, Mandelbaum is quick to list multiple initiatives, such as the 24-7 Clean Energy Plan. Record investments in our yes, uh, record investments in infrastructure, and Vision Zero, a plan that aims to cut traffic fatalities. Mandelbaum sees the role of mayor as anyone who sets the vision, trajectory, and goals of the council. He says more co uh, conversations need to happen around issues such as affordable housing and transit, as well as public accessibility to city council meetings. He said he is committed to proposing changes such as holding public comment at the start of the council meetings instead of at the end and increasing public speaking time from two to five minutes. But it's also about standing up on broader conversations, he says. It's everything from we would have been more active and vocal as a city on the school voucher bill to standing up on reproductive freedom and LGBTQ rights. We need to be a voice for our residents in those debates and we need to be part of it. If elected, candidate Denver Foote, who uses they, them pronouns, says they would push for rescinding procedural rules enacted by the council that have, quote, silenced, end quote, fellow council members and constituents, such as limiting public speaking time. Foote says they would enact ordinances to make council members more accessible, such as implementing hybrid meetings where community members can participate remotely and having city officials canvass people at their homes to get input on city decisions. They also would work on statements and policies that show the city stands by and protects people who are being oppressed, with laws created at the Iowa Capitol, such as those involving trans, queer, and people with bodily autonomy would propose policies to hold landlords accountable, including requiring a rent cap, and would work to make the city budget approval process more transparent. Foote said they also would make sure a citizen review board of the Des Moines Police Department is quickly reenacted. If elected, Chris W. Van Arks says he would like to push forward resolutions or policies that have to do with security, privacy, and homelessness. For example, Van Arks says he would promote more awareness of doxing, and that's D-O-X-X-I-N-G, the act of revealing personal information online about a person without their permission. He said he'd also like to introduce what he calls homeless inhibit 
habitation rediscovery, which would be a patch of rented land where people experiencing homelessness could get connected to doctors and rehabilitation services. Downtown Neighborhood Association President Brandon Brown says that while he more than interacts with Mandelbaum because he represents the downtown core, he's had an opportunity to get to know Bozen as an at-large representative as well. In working with both on downtown issues, he describes Mandelbaum as policy-driven, diplomatic, and someone who makes sure the plans he develops are articulate and fair. Bozen, he says, leads with her heart, is thoughtful, and won't pull any punches. But at the end of the day, Bozen and Mandelbaum will each appeal to voters in their own way, he said. So it, it really... Uh, so it really, as a voter, you have to identify what your priorities uh, for your candidate, Brown said. And like I said, if it's something that's diplomatic and policy-driven, it seems like Josh would be your candidate. And if it's somebody you want to sit down and have that beer with and listen to someone talk from their heart and their experience, then you know Connie may be that person. George Davis, president of the Southwestern Hills Neighborhood Association, also in Mandelbaum's district, recently listened to candidates at a mayoral forum at Brody Middle School. Both are similar in many ways, but each person has their strengths, he said. Davis said he appreciated a comment from Bozen on how he would work to support small businesses coming into the city. He also liked one of Mandelbaum's statements about improving funding and operations of the Des Moines Area Regional Transit Authority. I think that we're very fortunate that we have two excellent candidates running for mayor, Davis said, speaking about Bozen and Mandelbaum. Sharon Zanders Akis racial justice and equity director for the Iowa Citizens for Community Development, or ICCI, says in their roles as council members, Bozen and Mandelbaum have worked to build trust with the organization, but in the end, both are limited by what they can pass as individuals. Really, you're there in those positions to work for the people, Xanders Atkus said. I think both of them will, in all honesty. They do work for the people, but again, they know what limitations they have. The at-large Ward 3 seat on Des Moines, uh, uh, Des Moines City Council, uh, will be left vacant if either Bozen or Mandelbaum is elected mayor. The City Council will have to decide whether to appoint someone or call a special election to fill the vacancy, according to Jamie Fitzgerald, the Polk County Auditor. And now back to Ed. Okay, from the obituary section of the um, Des Moines Register, Barbara Jean Donahue Luke went peacefully to to be with the Lord on Tuesday, October 17th. She was 86. Visitation will be held from 5 to 7 p.m. Monday, October 23rd at the Hamilton near Highlands Memory Gardens. Um, the funeral service will begin at 10 a.m. Tuesday, October 24th, also at the funeral home, and will be followed by a burial at the Highland Memorial Garden Cemetery. Candace Drees Dunn, 
56 died peacefully at her home on October 18, 2023, surrounded by family. A private service will take place in the future. Candace was born on June 6, 1967. Candace was a thoughtful leader and a dedicated mother, a keen observer. She was always quick to notice some small, delightful things in everyday life. Dwayne Stouts of Norwalk, Iowa, passed away surrounded by loved ones on the morning of October 18, 2023. Dwayne was born on July 1, 1930 to Ralph and Rose Stouts. He grew up in West Des Moines and graduated from Norwalk High School in 1947. He attended Drake University and went on to serve in the Air Force. He is preceded in death by his parents, Ralph and Rose, and brothers Dean and Jerry. Services will be held at the Nor Norwalk Christian Church on Monday, October 23rd at 5 p.m. with dinner to immediately follow. Visitation will be held prior to the memorial service between beginning at 3.30 p.m. Betty, Betty Toman, the lady who taught us to dance, passed away on October 12th at the age of 97 in Green Valley, Arizona. She lived for many years in Ames, Iowa, where she enjoyed a long and off-honored career leading the Iowa State University dance program. Wendy Lee Newby. 65 died unexpectedly on Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. She was born on July 14, 1958 to Lee and Helen Rhoda. Memorial services will be held Saturday, October 28th at Windsor Presbyterian Church in Windsor, Iowa. Celeste Oletsky passed away October 14th at her home with her family by her side. Mass of Christian burial will be held, will be at 11 a.m. Monday, October 23rd at St. Joseph Catholic Church in Des Moines, Iowa. Her family will greet friends from 6, 3 to 6 p.m. Sunday at the Isles Grandview Park Chapel with a rosary recited at 6 p.m. Burial will be in the Iowa Veterans Cemetery on Tuesday, October 24th at 11 a.m. Charles Norman Collins, age 84, passed away peacefully on Monday, October 16th. Charles was born May 10, 1939, in Chicago, Illinois, to Norman and Margaret Collins. He was employed for over 22 years with the Polk County Sheriff's Department retiring as a well-respected sergeant of detectives. There will be a celebration of life from 5 to 7 p.m. Tuesday, October 31st at Highland Park Christian Church. Gina Daniels, born October 29, 1956, to Leo and Nancy Sergoli, passed away October 14th at Hospice Cavanaugh House after a lengthy battle with cancer. Gina worked at the laboratory histology areas 
at the Iowa Methodist and Unity Point Hospital for 43 years, retiring in March of 23. Memorial service will be held at 10 a.m. on October 23rd at Hamilton's Funeral Home. Thank you, Ed. Continuing on with obituaries, Catherine Ann Elson. Catherine Ann Elson, also known as Katie, passed away peacefully at home in Florida. She loved her. Her loved ones surrounded her at her transition to heaven. She leaves behind a legacy of unconditional love, generosity, and service to others that will forever remain in the hearts of those who knew her. Katie was born in Bondurant, Iowa, to proud parents Willa and Walter Bemis. She leaves behind her children, Michael, William, Jennifer, and Jeff Perry, her grandchildren, Elijah, Sidney, uh, Lydia, Blake, Jordan, and her namesake, Catherine. She was also a proud great-grandmother to Carter, Presley, and Olivia. They will forever cherish the fond memories they created together. Throughout her life, Katie's greatest passion was her involvement in the Iowa State and North Iowa affairs. She loved her Delta Zeta sorority sisters and earned her bachelor's degree from Iowa State University. Katie enjoyed volunteering at school, uh, or excuse me, volunteering at thrift stores, serving at the local food bank, and helping at the election polls. She dedicated her time to various community organizations, including 4-H, Mason City, and Clear Lake Chamber of Commerce, American Legion Auxiliary, and the Rotary Club. Katie has a beautiful voice. She led adult and youth choirs at church and was also a member of the Sweet Adeline's Chorus. Katie touched the lives of many, and her memory will forever be a source of comfort and inspiration. A celebration of life will be held at the Crossing Church in Ruskin, Florida on November 25th at 11 a.m. Instead of flowers, memorial donations may be made to her church, the Crossing South Shore, or Calvary's Angel Attic, Ruskin, Florida, a cause that was dear to her heart. In remembrance of John Chambers of Des Moines, John passed away peacefully at his home on October 7th of 2023. Service will be held at St. Augustine's Catholic Church at 10.30 a.m. on Friday, October 27th, 2023. A visitation will be held one hour prior to funeral mass. John was a graduate of Loras College and retired from his real estate consulting service. John enjoyed traveling through Iowa's country roads to see what his beautiful state had to offer. He loved spending summers at his family's cottage on West Lake Okaboji, fishing, swimming, and scuba diving. It was not uncommon for John and his father, Jim, to explore every bay and cove in the Great Lakes region for hours at a time. Roger Marion Johnson of Des Moines died on October 9th after a prolonged illness. He is preceded in death by his parents. Uh, Roger is survived by his wife. Uh, he enjoyed fishing and outdoor activities, including spending time in the summer on a lake near Ely, Minnesota, for 40 years. He also loved preparing and eating food and has his specialties, such as his smoked meat prepared in his backyard smoker and a special spaghetti sauce from a guarded family uh, family. The secret recipe. He will be interred at Rest Haven Calvary in West Des Moines. 
in remembrance of Thomas Culver. Thomas Dwayne Culver, age 72, passed away on October 17th at Ramsey Village in Des Moines. Tom's full obituary and online condolences may be expressed at www.hamiltonsfuneralhome.com. Ernest Edward Ed Fisher of College Station, age 72, passed away at his home in College Station, Texas, on Tuesday, September 12th. He was born to Walter Fisher and Dorothy Fisher on July 20th of 51. No service is planned at this time. However, his family will celebrate his life. At a later time, his remains will be interred at the Central Texan Veterans Cemetery in Killeen, Texas. You can visit www.hillerfuneral, that's H-I-L-L-I-E-R, home.com to view a complete obituary and leave online condolences. Dolores J. Spar was born February 25, 1942 in Truman, Minnesota and passed away October 8th in Naperville, Illinois. Dolores was born to Gordon Leslie Lewis and Edith Gwendola Lane Lewis. She graduated from Mandela High School, Mandela, Minnesota, in 1960. Dolores married Robert Hayes Spar at the Reorganized Church of Latter-day Saints in Des Moines, Iowa. He preceded her death in July of 97. Dolores made a career as an employee of Northwestern Bell and Von Maurer Department Store for many years. Dolores' final resting place is at Ankeny Memorial Gardens in Ankeny, Iowa. Full obituary online at www.ankenymemorial.com. Doris Render of West Des Moines passed away October 11th, 2023, at 89 years old. She was born September 28, 34, in Marksburg, Iowa, to parents Mildred and Burl uh, Schaller. After graduating, Dolores moved to Des Moines, where she soon met Kenneth Jean Van Patten. They married and had five children in Valley Junction. She was later remarried to Harold Render, the love of her life, in 1978 who had four daughters and one son, and her husband Harold were always there for their family with support and love. Their generosity was truly endless. Dolores was a philosopher and a modern-day Renaissance woman. Her main philosophy in life was that everyone deserved to be treated with dignity and respect and allowed to be as they truly are. Doris was a woman of many talents. She was an accomplished, classically trained pianist, from her childhood and produced beautiful music. She began her career as a secretary and eventually started her own successful secretarial business, Render Secretarial Services, which she continued until the end of her life. Doris was an artist and published writer, including many editorials in the Des Moines Register and her own magazine, The Crystal Tower. She studied art and produced many masterpieces for her friends and family to enjoy. She was one of the first astrologists in the Des Moines area, and she loved to share her knowledge with family and friends. Doris had a Monday night study group for many years and got together at Harold and Doris's house to talk about spirituality, philosophy, and the mysteries of life. She also hosted the legendary Friday nights at her house, where her family and friends gathered together to celebrate life and enjoy each other 
over 40 years. There will be a celebration of life for Doris Render on November 26th uh, from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the Nature Lodge at Raccoon River Park, 2500 Grand Avenue, West Des Moines. All are welcome to help us celebrate Doris's extraordinary life. Her light and positive energy will be greatly missed by her children, grandchildren, family, and friends. Joanne Carlin Larson of Indianola, Iowa, died peacefully on October 17th of 23, one day after celebrating her 86th birthday. She was at Taylor House Hospice in Des Moines, surrounded by members of her family. Born in 1937 in Centerville, South Dakota, to Harry and Ella Austin, she graduated from Vermilion High School in 1955. Joe majored in elementary education at a uh, Augustana College and taught in public schools. While teaching, she continued her education with an emphasis in special education. On August 8th of 1958, Joe married her high school sweetheart, John Dennis Larson, and together they were blessed with three children. While raising their children, Joe was an active volunteer and private tutor for children needing public assistance. After moving to Indianola, Joe and John promoted community-based services for adults with special needs. After functioning as a team, they attended rehabilitation conferences, seminars, and workshops throughout the United States. Joe served in leadership and support roles on many boards and associations, taking special pride in the Autism Society of Iowa. The most enduring part of her life was her membership at Redeemer Lutheran Church. Joe was on the staff at Redeemer Lutheran Church. Joe was on the staff of Winfried Law Opportunity Center from 77 through 99. She served as an instructor and as the Director of Developmental Services. 2002, Joe joined her husband as part-time work at the Iowa Senate in Des Moines. Joe's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren were cherished beyond measure and gave her love, support, fun, and excitement. Celebration of life will be held at a later date. Joe was buried with her husband in Dalesburg Lutheran Cemetery, a mile from the church where she was baptized, confirmed, married, and along uh, and a mile from her birthplace in South Dakota. She is preceded in her death by her husband, sisters, and parents. Memorial contributions can be made to the family or Redeemer Lutheran Church in Indianola, Iowa. To sign an online condolence, visit the website www.overtonfunerals.com. Loanne Dodge, age 89, of Ankeny, passed away. Monday, October 16th. Funeral services were Saturday, October 21 of uh, 23, uh, 10 a.m. at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church, 517 Southwest Des Moines in Ankeny. Visitation 9 to 10 before the service. Burial at Pleasant View Cemetery in Hartley, Iowa at 3.30. Uh, memorials on Loanne's name may be directed to Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. That's at 517 Southwest Des Moines Street, Ankeny, or the Des Moines Symphony, 1011 Locust Street, Suite 200, Des Moines. Send any correspondence to Box 34, Slater, Iowa, 
zip 50244. For a complete obituary, please refer to Ankeny Funeral Home and Crematory. Henry Curtis Bevington. It was with uh, great sadness, but no small appreciation of irony that we announce one of the avid readers of this section must now himself be featured in it. Harry Curtis Bevington passed away on October 14th at the age of 86. His dear Anne, the love of his life since they were both 16, was at his side. A native of Mount Air and longtime resident of Des Moines, he was one of the proudest Iowans you'd ever meet and a fierce Hawkeye fan. His heart never fully left Mount Air. He loved to uh, recount memories of his time there playing sports, roller skating, performing the lead in the school musical, and of all the wonderful people he had known growing up. He left Iowa briefly to attend Northwest Missouri State University and serve in the Army at Fort Leonard Wood, but ultimately returned home and graduated from Drake University. He enjoyed a variety of career and United Food Markets, Kraft Foods, North American Van Lines, and uh, more. And again, those were in his uh, varied careers. He was most passionate about his role as a purveyor of fine foods and leaves behind a legacy of opinions on the best of everything, from dairy to nuts to state fair lemonade. It's at the stand in front of the hog barn, for the record. He was also a talented gardener, and many would attest that the best tomatoes indeed came from his own backyard. His garden was one of abundance, spilling over with cucumbers and peppers, bird feeders, signs, and colorful whirligigs. His gregariousness too, was abundant, as many a cashier or waiter could tell you. Harry could make friends wherever he went and would confidently claim his convictions to anyone foolish enough to think they could sway him. He was devotedly loyal to his loved ones. His most unshakable conviction was that his family and friends were beyond compare. Amongst those close companions, he was known for his generosity, his rarely exaggerated stories, and... Uh, uh, I got to get find my spot here. Was uh, he was uh, devotedly loyal to his loved ones, uh, uh, to his family, friends, and and it was beyond compare. Amongst those close companions, he was known for his generosity. Uh, he is survived by his wife, Anne Lynn Bevington, his two sons, daughter-in-law. John and Carolyn Bevington, and Joe and Andrea Bevington, his daughter Sue and his grandchildren Elaine, Elizabeth, Henry, and Madeline Bevington. They will remember him fondly and try to always abide by his counsel not to take any wooden nickels. And that concludes our obituaries for today. We are now going to move on to birthday announcements.